the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557. It is a hot day out there. I hope that you're taking care of yourself and make sure you take care of a neighbor, especially an elderly neighbor or somebody that you know who might not do well in the heat out there. Very, very hot day everywhere. 888-528-2557. What kinds of things do you think ought to be censored? Like what kinds of speech or what kinds of things that are published ought to be stopped or censored? Or what kind of person ought to be censored? You know, censored. Uh, I want to talk about that for a little bit. And, you know, I think that there's conversation about that in all kinds of ways, right? Like we've talked before about the whole uh, book banning idea that books are being banned. There's nothing being banned, but certainly there are books being objected to in kids' libraries and certain areas. You can still get all of those books, but where do you draw the line? And when it comes to speech and the things that you can say, what is the mature way to deal with that? I've been thinking about that because uh, R.F. Kennedy Jr. has been on the news, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's running for president. I don't know a lot about him. And, you know, in the back of my mind, he's been, uh, you know, somebody who people say is a conspiracy theorist and all this kind of stuff. And he's running for president as a Democrat. Depending on the poll that you read, he's between 15 and 20 percent of the vote that he is getting. And it, you know, whenever somebody, if you just have a little bit of history with presidential politics, whenever an incumbent president has a challenger in his own party, it usually is a bad sign. So if you go back to, for example, George H.W. Bush in 1992, one of the first signs that his candidacy was in trouble was because Patrick Buchanan ran against him and did very well. I think pulled down 35% or almost won New Hampshire. Maybe he did win New Hampshire primary. I don't remember. And uh, off the top of my head, but it it was something that you knew George Bush was going to get the nomination ultimately, but there was a warning sign when there's somebody in your own party, wherever they're coming from, that gets a lot of support. It says that your own party's support for your candidate is soft. And so when you have someone running against Biden this time where there will likely not be any debates and because Biden's not going to debate him probably um, – Trump, by the way, is not going to debate against the Republicans. I was thinking about that. The first Republican debate is set for next month, about a month from now. And I thought that's going to be a boring debate, really, if Trump's not there. What are those guys going to do? I guess they're just going to attack uh, probably DeSantis or whoever might be in second place. But uh, it doesn't really matter if the front runner is not there. Um, You know, and unless unless Donald Trump is not the front runner, then I suppose he's not going to debate. And his idea is, nope, I don't need to. I'm way ahead, and why would I do that? There's a, you know, strategic uh, points of view about that, and there's strategic points of view that people have about whether or not on the Democrat side should President Biden debate 
R.F. Kennedy Jr. Now, R.F. Kennedy Jr. is, I'm going to just tell you some of the things that uh, he gets accused of. All right. And I'm not judging him one way or the other. Like I said, I don't really know. Um, this comes from uh, Forbes magazine made a list. Okay. These are the list of things. Now he denies each one of these, or he says that there is a, uh, a nuance that's not being covered. And I found that interesting today because in one of his, his testimonies today on Capitol Hill, he's going to, he is testifying today in Washington, uh, about government censorship, about what kinds of things a person ought to be allowed to say versus not say. And, What's interesting is they tried to censor him. They tried to, to over and over again, calling him racist, calling him uh, a whole bunch of names and saying that he's a quack, basically. Uh, these are Democrats saying this about a fellow Democrat, okay, and trying to take it into a, a private hearing rather than a public hearing, which is an interesting thing to do, right? It's a, it's a, a committee on censorship that we're trying to censor so that people can't hear it. I tend to believe that people are while susceptible to deception, which is something that as Christians we have to be aware of, that the Bible repeatedly warns us about being deceived. And typically it's talking about spiritual deception, deception about Christ, deception about salvation and other things like that. You you find this all the time, you know. Um, but there's also an idea with all of that that human beings can be deceived. And the thing is about being deceived is that you don't know if you're deceived, that's why you're deceived. You don't think you're deceived. That's why you're deceived, right? That's the, that's the hard part about being deceived is no one's going to say, yep, I'm deceived. Because if, if you admit that, then you're no longer deceived. You're just, you're, you know the truth versus whatever it is you're choosing to say. No, when we're deceived, it's because we have been led to believe something either by our own thoughts or by uh, somebody else, somebody's teaching or something that we believe to be true, it sounds true, we have confirmation bias, you know, so we look to the news or we look to studies or other things that confirm our point of view, and then we deliberately ignore the other side. We ignore other opinions, and and where we're at in our country today is we've decided that other opinions are just bad people. And I don't think we have always been that way. I tend to believe that average people, okay, you and I, everybody listening to this, you know, most of us, we are susceptible to things and we're very emotional about stuff, you know, in our country today, but that we are capable of hearing other sides, that we're capable of discerning things. I think that, I think you have to trust people for that, but you also have to warn people that it's very easy to be mistaken. It's very easy to be deceived. And I think when we get in the conversation about censorship, are there things that shouldn't even be taught um, even when it comes down to to church things, you know, if you have a, a firm belief about a particular uh, doctrine in your church, uh, you know, in Christianity, there are, you know, different opinions about, uh, you know, about predestination or different opinions about the timing of the return of Christ or different opinions about uh, baptism, different opinions about communion. There, you know, there's some things and and many of us are sticklers for certain things. That's why you might be a particular denomination or might be why you read certain books. Are you afraid of somebody having a different opinion or reading a different opinion about those subjects, right? Should, should even certain comments be censored? I was speaking at a camp one time and the conversation was about how the Bible came to be. 
and are there errors in the Bible and that kind of thing. And so I went through a bunch of statistics that comes from translators and things, and it talks about how there are differences of uh, texts when they go dig up and they have all these texts. And it's a fantastic thing. The thing not to miss is that there are over 25,000 copies or fragments of copies of the New Testament. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff with the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls that get traveled around to different museums. I highly recommend you go see that. It's a very confirming thing to the accuracy of Scripture, actually, because it fills in the gaps of some of the oldest copies that we have before, particularly with the books of Isaiah and stuff. And it says that what we have preserved is right, you know. And But there are some differences. But the thing is, is that almost all of the differences between all of those copies are just spelling errors. It says that almost all of, and I think it comes down to about 50, that there's only, there's only about 50 different things. Uh, there's only about 50 different um, uh, uh, discrepancies between different copies that actually would change the meaning of whatever it's trying to convey, and none of them have anything to do with a major doctrine of Christianity, right? So none of them change anything that we believe about Christ being the Savior, about a triune God, about the major things that really uh, make you a Christian. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Anyway, I was speaking at this camp, and I talked about that. And I talked about how actually it's pretty amazing when you think about over 1,500 years and 40 different authors who wrote the Bible, that they tell the same story, that it all points to Jesus Christ, that the part of the evidence of the truth of our faith is that it isn't just one guy who sat down and wrote everything. It isn't just one guy or one group of people in some particular era where you had you know a bunch of insight that's true for that culture, but not necessarily true for some other culture, that over 1,500 years, under different circumstances, different kinds of people wrote the Bible, and it all points to Christ. And it's preserved through history. It's preserved uh, through everything. I was watching a scientist today talking about how he got saved as he went through the Bible, and he realized that the Bible makes about 200 different, what he called scientific predictions, that no one could have known you know, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago when it was written, that they're not really predictions, they're just descriptions of what, you know, the the physical universe is like that turned out to be true in modern science. He says that convinced him a lot because there's no way that anyone could have known that. It convinced him of the the truth of, of the inspiration of the Bible. Anyway, somebody came up to me at this thing and said, I shouldn't be teaching that. He said, and this was a pastor, and he said, we shouldn't teach people about this because it might, it might make their faith weaker. He said that it might shake people's faith to think that there are different, you know, copies of the Bible and some of them have different spelling errors. And, you know, if you have a, some of the translations will note that today. Some of the translations will say, you know what, this passage that's in uh, John is uh, not in some of the earliest manuscripts, or in some passages it'll say this is here, but really in some other manuscripts it's in a different part of the book. You know, there's, a, there's integrity with that. We, you know, we don't have to be afraid of that. If what we believe is true, we don't have to be afraid that maybe some scribe somewhere said, oops, I forgot to do that and put it at the end, right? Uh, he shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake, a bad thing. But it doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It means that scribe made an error. It means that copy. You know, if you write down Scripture yourself, you might flip a few verses around inadvertently, especially if you're writing with pen, you know, in, a, in an era of, you know, word processing, well, you would 
you can easily fix it. But, you know, if you're old enough to where you had to write papers in pen in school or maybe on a typewriter where if you made an error, it was it was very complicated to go back and change it. You can understand why you wouldn't do it that way. Well, that's that's the same there. Anyway, are there things that there's a line, you know, that should be done? So in our political world, when you have um, here's the Kennedy stuff, R.F. Kennedy Jr. You're listening to Pastor Scott show and R.F. Kennedy Jr., who uh, and I'm telling you, I don't know a lot about him, but here's some of the things that he said. Well, one of the things that he said that I think is is remarkable is uh, that he has vaccinated all of his kids, that he is not anti-vax, that he was anti the COVID vax. Uh, but what he really wants is the investigation of vaccines in you know serious scientific uh, work to see whether or not it's causing autism and things like that. But I thought, and he says, I need to find that clip for you. He says that uh, most of the people in this room probably think he's anti-vax. I would have been one of those people. I would have said, yeah, he doesn't support any vaccinations. And then I find out, oh, actually, uh, this guy, uh, he does. Hold on here. I think this is a clip. I was censored not just by the Democratic administration. I was censored by the Trump administration. I was the first person censored by, as the chairman pointed out, by the Biden administration two days after it came into office. It ordered a truthful, and by the way, they had to invent a new word called malinformation to, to, to censor people like me. They, there was no misinformation on my Instagram account. Everything I put on that account was cited and sourced to peer-reviewed publications or government databases. Nobody have, has ever pointed to a single piece of misinformation that I publish. I was removed for something they called malinformation. Uh, he's going to continue with this. So he's, and if you're wondering about his voice, this is uh, the son of Robert F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, who was uh, assassinated in 1968, the brother of President John F. Kennedy. Uh, this is his son, and he's running for president as a Democrat. And uh, here's where he talks about uh, the vaccines. Malinformation is information that is true, but is inconvenient to the government that they don't want people to hear. And, it, and that's antithetical to the values of our country. After I announced my presidency, it became more difficult for people to censor me outright. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, where people apply pejoratives like anti-vax. I've never been anti-vaccine, but everybody in this room probably believes that I have been. Because that's the prevailing narrative. Anti-Semitism. See, that shocked me. So sometimes we just don't know, right? And this is one of the things about censorship that you have to be aware of is that, you know, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on these things. But what I'm saying is my opinion, he's I would be one of those people. I was surprised to find out that he vaccinated his kids, that he's not against it, because some of the people who I know say that about him, people who are for him and against him say that about him. And, you know, it's a, it's interesting when you get into the details. And that's one of the things about censorship that is bad, is it prevents us from getting into the details, especially when we're just shutting down people who disagree with us or say things that make us uncomfortable. I believe that as human beings, if we discipline ourselves to have an open mind and we pray and ask God for discernment, which is something that we need to be praying for for each one of us, that we really need to pray for uh, all of that, that we should be able to hear things that go against our 
opinions and be able to discern whether that should change our opinion or just reinforce our opinion. Does that make sense? That when we get into Bible study, when we get into um, just any conversation we're having, even if it comes down to picking a president, we should be in a place where any politician or a leader, we should be in a place where we can question ourselves. We can question what our desires are. Anyway, what do you think about this? Does censorship, is there a, a line, though, that shouldn't be crossed? For example, I'll give you one. I don't think that everything is for kids. I think there are things that are age-driven, meaning that in these protests that are happening with the schools, that taking books out of the schools that are about sexual activity that are for kids. Man, I saw another one yesterday that somebody sent me that's driven for kids that describes in detail how to have uh, a certain kind of sex act and what kinds of things you need to buy and why it can be dangerous, why it can, how it can be. And this is targeted towards 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Why? Why is, I think you can pull that out of schools. You know, I think that that's far different than just saying nobody can access this information if they were interested in it. Uh, I don't think you should because I don't think you should be doing that, actually. But it's uh, I think that there's a place for saying, no, this isn't for kids. Anyway, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. So the attacks that are going on on RFK Jr. are coming uh, mostly from his own side, and certainly there's a politic of it, right? The Republicans are glad that there is a Democrat in the race who is uh, running against President Biden. And there are things that, well, I would say on a lot of issues, RFK certainly is not a Republican and would not agree with most Republican voters. There are certain things where people say this guy's kind of reasonable, right? At least he wants to talk about things that are unresolved. Here's some of uh, his his comments today. This is a letter that many of you signed. So he's, talking, he's holding up a letter that was signed by Democrats, basically calling him a racist and uh, a whole lot of stuff and that he shouldn't be able to speak his mind. The reason for that is a couple of weeks ago, he cited a, a study. It was a conversation that was recorded and somebody uploaded it into, um, you know, on social media. And he cited a study that suggested that the COVID-19 virus uh, doesn't you know, it seems to disproportionately affect, this is what he says, certain races. Um, and then he gives some scientific information about it. But he basically says that for black people and Caucasians, uh, they are the most susceptible to COVID, while ethnic Chinese, Finns, and uh, Ashkenazi Jews uh, are not. And so he's getting attacked by people saying, well, that's racism. You can't say that. And this and that. His response is to say, no, I was just citing a study uh, that is a, it's a, a American study. It's a uh, uh, study that you can find uh, in the National Institutes of Health right here in the United States. And he's saying he's being misquoted. Okay, so that's part of why that has to be there. So he's holding up that letter, and then he's going to talk about it. Many of my fellow Democrats, I've spent my life in this party. I've devoted my life to the values of this party. This 102 people signed this. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address. This is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. The, the, the charges in this, and, and by the way, censorship is antithetical to our party. It was, it was appalling to my father, to my uncle, to FDR, to Harry Truman, to Thomas Jefferson, as the chairman referred to. It is the basis for democracy. 
It sets us apart from all of the previous forms of government. We need to be able to talk. And, and the First Amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for the speech that nobody likes you for. I thought that was a pretty good comment. The First Amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for speech that nobody likes you for, speech that you think you might think is uncomfortable. And it's a powerful thing for our country that we have been against censorship, even when people say some pretty terrible things. What do you think about censorship? Like, is there Are there things that just shouldn't be said? How do you determine that? I, I think that there's a place in certain things where – you know, things should not be said, but I think that's a very hard line to draw because you can end up having deception because it just turns into people's political, uh, it can be politically motivated. 888-528-2557. Rachel in Orange County, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi. Hi, Rachel. Uh, good to you. So um, I, I had like a two-part thing. First of all, censorship. Um, I, I don't believe it should be um, no matter what, I just feel that you either have to, you know, you can't just cherry pick what you want and what you don't want. Um, I also feel that, you know, uh, um, Trump is, was just exercising his amendment of free speech and, and nobody liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. And, um, and that's the reason why, you know, that he's in a lot of the trouble he is, but even I think, um, on January 6th, I think he was just, it was his, his right, you know, of free speech to say what he felt, what was going on, you know, whether you liked it or not. That's what he thought, and that was his right to say it. Um, also, I um, want to comment on the, the banning of the books. Uh, I, I have I have a, a really good friend I've known forever, and, and he's gay, and he's not a Christian, and, and we, you know, so there's just a lot of people that just don't believe um in, in Christianity, God, the whole concept, and, and you're not going to change their mind about it. Um, I don't try to change his mind, but we respect each other in the fact that, and, and him being um, a homosexual, him and all his friends feel that all this is, is just wrong to target the kids. Um, There's a lot of people for sure on, on that page there. Rachel, I'm going to have to go to a break here in a second. Uh, okay. I'll give you just a couple more seconds here. Okay, um, that he, he was saying that it was uh, the people, not from a lot of them, from, not even from the homosexual community that are pushing this. Yeah, it's a whole, uh, the, the, the whole thing there is actually coming from, uh, you know, a far left agenda that's very different and not, you know, it's another conversation, but it's not about uh, what sometimes it appears to be about. I'll get to that another time. Right. Rachel, thank you for right. your call. You know, I would say that you know, the free speech is something you have, but you're still responsible for what you say, right? So the conversation that'll happen about Donald Trump or whomever, or even RFK Jr., you know, if we say things, we still have to deal with the consequences of what we say. So, you know, people on January 6th or in other riots who might have spurred on people to riot, you know, at what point, it's not censorship, you're allowing people to say things, but you also have to be responsible for the things that you say, right? That's, there is, not you're not just free to say anything with with impunity with without consequence but are there things that you just should be restricted from saying how do you draw that line now i'm going to play a few more things from uh, rf kennedy jr when we come back uh because i think that some of what he said and i'm not endorsing him or saying you should like him or dislike him but i am saying that some of what he said are things that all of us as people i think should pay attention to and are important 
because we do need to have some serious conversations that are being avoided because we're just censoring thought or speech that we don't like. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I mean, the Republican hearings that have unfolded over the last few days and throughout this entire Congress are a malignant clown show that are not designed to address issues that impact the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people, but instead peddle outlandish and out-of-control conspiracy theories. The notion that Republicans would give a congressional platform to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who peddles anti-Semitic tropes and baseless xenophobic conspiracy theories, which together are directed at the Jewish community and the Chinese-American community, is unbelievable, which is why you can't take my Republican colleagues seriously when they tell you that they believe in tolerance. That is Hakeem Jeffries. He is the uh, Democrat minority leader in the House of Representatives. And uh, there is a full-on attack on R.F. Kennedy Jr. today who testified in a hearing about censorship where he is uh, trying to be censored, which is kind of uh, interesting. And I've been talking about him. I don't want to say that I'm for him or against him. There's a lot of things I don't know. But he said a lot of things that I think are worthy. And what Hakeem Jeffries is talking about is – R.F. Kennedy cited a study that claimed that the COVID virus, uh, and this is an NIH study, National Institutes of Health study, okay? It's a real study. It's not some kooky thing that he found on the internet. It's a national, real scientific study. And maybe he took it out of context, and maybe RFK is being taken out of context. That's what he says. Um, but it said that that COVID seemed to affect white people and black people worse than Chinese people and some Jewish people and uh, some other people. And it has something to do with how the, how the virus attaches to different cells in the body and those kinds of things. And it gets a little bit out of what uh, I understand. But a lot of what really is happening here is an attack on him um, because he has a lot of conversation that he wants to have that people aren't willing to have. And because he's running for president as a Democrat and people are accusing him of uh, harming President Biden's chances. There's all kinds of crazy rumors. There's one about that he and Donald Trump are going to come together and be uh, the candidate. I don't think so. I I could imagine that possibility, but they don't agree on an awful lot, actually. Um, That would be a very odd ticket because they don't agree in environmental policy. They don't agree uh, in in a whole lot. They wouldn't even agree on vaccines. Uh, Donald Trump taking more of the pro-vaccine point of view. There's a whole lot of things that they don't agree with. So I don't I don't know. But but whatever the case is, whatever you think of RFK, he seems to have get a lot of attention for things he either said or didn't say. So he's on the Hill today. And it's caused me to wonder about censorship. And I thought he did have some good things to say about it. Listen to uh, some of his testimony here. And how do we deal with that? How are we going to, every Democrat on this committee believes that we need to end that polarization. Do you think you can do that by censoring people? I'm telling you, you cannot. You, that, 
only aggravates and amplifies the problem. We need to start being kind to each other. We need to start being respectful to each other. We need to start restoring the comedy to this chamber and and to the rest of America. But it has to start here. We have to start uh, restoring the, not comedy, C-O-M-E-D-Y. That's what I thought he said at first, restoring the comedy to the chamber. The chamber is pretty funny (laughs) already, maybe not in a good way, but in a very comedic way. Uh, it's comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y. It's the, the you know, the being uh, being kind to each other. He goes on to explain it. And this is something kind of old. I wonder how much of this is, you know, when you think back 30 or 40 years ago, sometimes we reframe things in our mind to seem kinder than it was. But I would remember this, I guess, in a similar way, that it did seem like people got along better. That even though there were tremendous disagreements about issues, I feel like people respected each other more not too long ago. He goes on to talk about his uh, his uh, uncle, uh, the late Ted Kennedy. My uncle, Edward Kennedy, has more legislation with his name on it than any senator in United States history. Why is that? Because he was able to reach across the aisle because he didn't deal in insults because he didn't try to censor people. He brought home people who were antithetical to what he believed in. He came home almost every weekend with people like Orrin Hatch to our house at the compound in Hyannisport. At that time, Orrin Hatch to me was like Darth Vader because I was an environmentalist. And I was saying, why, why is Teddy bringing this guy home? And, you know, I think that's pretty funny that Orrin Hatch was – Orrin Hatch was a Republican conservative senator from Utah uh, back in the day, totally on a – the at the time, the opposite spectrum of Ted Kennedy, who was a senator from Massachusetts, very liberal. And yet they did come together and do things. This still happens. There's still some bipartisan stuff. It just doesn't make the news anymore. And it doesn't – I think it's because it doesn't drive clicks. It doesn't drive the emotion that we have that is driving profit because we're against each other on so many things. This is what censorship does, is that you censor out, rather than reporting the news, Congress did this today, good, bad, or indifferent, you only report the things where there is conflict or where there is emotionalism, and a lot of the other stuff just gets left out. He uh, RFK continues. He was effective because he understood that comedy and respect and kindness and compassion and empathy for other people is the way that we have the only way to restore the function in this in this chamber. But more importantly, today we need to give an example in the leadership of our country of being respectful to each other. If you think I said something that's anti-Semitic, let's talk about the details. I'm telling you all the things that I'm accused of right now by you. And in this letter are distortions, they're misrepresentations. So I didn't say those things. So I think that's really interesting. So he's being accused. Uh, they tried to shut down the hearing, saying that we shouldn't even listen to this guy because he makes these terrible statements, uh, uh, anti-Semitic statements and stuff. And he's saying, no, no, you took me out of context deliberately. And he, in fact, did respond online in several different places to what he was referring to. He was just referring to the results of a study. And, you know, he, he's writing a book about bioweapons, and that's why he's reading those studies. The study was in 2021, and the idea that countries could be developing, he's going to say, and this is a scary thought, 
but could be developing weapons that are biological weapons that might only attack certain groups of people, you know, or people who are may, may be susceptible. There's another conspiracy theory out there that said that the Chinese developed this to kill off old people. And that's why the COVID uh, impacted older people so much more. I mean, none of that is there's no there's no study that agrees with all of that. And even the studies he's saying, it's just preliminary stuff. And they all say these are just little pieces of evidence that we see about this. Um, but he's right here to talk about how we need to talk. How, do you have conversations with people who disagree or do you just divide on political issues or other stuff? You know, in the, the 2020 election in particular, but happened some in 2016, you know, I saw a lot of people divide. I saw families divide. I know families today who cannot still have Thanksgiving together because they voted differently in the last couple of elections. That's crazy. My, when I grew up, I think that my favorite Thanksgivings were when we had enough family came together that just about every point of view was represented. And we would have some serious, you know, we loved each other, but there was some heated conversation among cousins and uncles and everybody over Democrat versus Republican stuff. And the thing is, is that at the end of it, we mostly laughed and we had, we were, we meant what we had to say, but it was something we looked forward to in the family. Um, now, eventually, there was a couple people with some pretty extreme views, and then what would happen is you would, you know, you'd eat your turkey and mashed potatoes real fast and go home because you're afraid a bomb is going to go off. You know, you have a couple of those, but uh, I don't think that's the case with most of us. Have you separated from family or friends because of politics? Has the way you voted one way or the other or an opinion you have about a political issue, people just don't want to hear it? I don't think that's right. I think we need to be people who can have discussions and figure out why we believe what we believe. It doesn't mean everybody's view is correct or that everybody's view is morally acceptable. But if there are views that are out there, they have to be flushed out. They have to be talked about because there are ser- there are seriously bad views. You know, what really is white supremacy? Is it increasing or not? Is anti-Semitism, is it growing or not? Or is it just political? You know, there's numbers that say a lot of people don't believe the Holocaust happened. Uh, that's a scary figure, but we can't bury it because it'll just grow. You've got to flush it out and you've got to bring out people who experience that while they're still alive. And you've got to be able to, um, I think, be persuasive, even with people who disagree. And when it comes to our Christian walk, there are more and more hostilities against Christianity, against our faith. Do we just hide in the walls of our church? Or are we able to have a conversation in the public square that some people are going to censor because they don't like the Christian sexual ethic or they don't like the what they, you know, people say is the exclusivity of Christianity because you've got to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, otherwise you go to hell. But every faith is exclusive to what they believe. There's not other faiths going, you know, there are faiths who say, no, everybody goes to, uh, you know, some kind of reward. But even in saying that, they're contradicting other faiths, and you're still saying, my faith is right and your faith is wrong about all that, you see. there's Everybody's exclusive to what they believe. That's part of the nature of belief and disagreement. 888-528-2557. I'd love to hear you know how you're doing or how you maybe mended fences with people who you disagreed with over uh, politics or some other issue. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. 
Now, back to the show. It's just this, I can't even believe this is a conversation. Like, this is not controversial or taboo. We live in the United States of America, and you have the right to say whatever you want, to print whatever you want, and to read whatever you want. Mr. Kennedy. A, a, a government that can censor its critics has license for every atrocity. It is the beginning of totalitarianism. There's never been a time in history when we look back and the guys who were censoring people were the good guys. All of us grew up reading Arthur Kessler, Robert Heinlein, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, and they were all saying the same thing. Once you start censoring, you're on your way to dystopia and totalitarianism. That was uh, R.F. Kennedy Jr. and uh, Emma Jo Morris, who is a uh, journalist with uh, Breitbart, on a hearing today in Washington about censorship. And uh, RFK is right about that and that, you know, censorship is always something that historically is done by the totalitarians when people are not allowed to express views. I don't think it means that there aren't cultural mores of things that you should say or not say. You know, I think that there are words that we shouldn't use that are offensive to people. I think that there are subjects that certainly shouldn't be taught during certain age groups and probably subjects that really ought not to be discussed. And, you know, some of these books that are uh, none of them are being banned but pulled out of schools. You know, I think they shouldn't have ever been published, but it's a different thing to say that somebody doesn't have the right to do that. You know, in a the, the problem if they're getting published and bought is that they're being bought, that there's a market for it, right? Some of the, uh, you know, the music and stuff, people will condemn, you know, uh, media or other stuff because you're you're corrupting society, and I think that's partially true, but also there's a corruption in society that creates a market for that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be published, right? It wouldn't be written and it wouldn't be performed and it wouldn't be done if there weren't people buying tickets, if there weren't people who are going to, you know, so it's, uh, uh, it's something that feeds on itself, I think. So, but I think that we should be able as a culture, as a civilization, to come together and say things uh, are right and wrong, and to have a conversation about what's what's best. Scriptures has a lot to say about being deceived. Galatians chapter six says, uh, "Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap." You know that is gets into the fact that you don't get to say things with impunity, though, that you don't get to say things and not have to suffer consequences if you're offensive or if you're saying things that are cruel or uh, even wrong. You know, we are responsible for the things that we say. And and there should be a way to correct people in a healthy way when what they're saying is wrong or a way to flush things out if we don't know what's right or wrong to get to the point of the truth. Uh, for you know, for us as believers, by the way, this is Pastor Scott Show. You can join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You know, it is something for us as believers that I think matters because I think we censor ourselves. I think that sometimes we we don't want to offend the non-Christian who's in our life, and an opportunity happens where we could share the gospel, and then we don't. And sometimes we just sort of miss the window, right? You don't, you, you thought about it and then the, the opportunity moved on. But sometimes you do have that opportunity and you don't. I think we censor ourselves because we're afraid of being mocked. We're afraid of, of some kind of recompense. We have to realize that there is freedom to express our belief. We can't force someone else to believe it, but we can put it out there. And we have some great things to say. 
uh, we have some great things that ought to be uh, explained well, and we should be able to have discussions with people who disagree with us, even on spiritual issues, because that's how you get to the truth. Now, I think the the warnings in Scripture are that you need to know the Scripture well enough so that you're not deceived. Once again, the being deceived, the idea is that you don't know you're deceived. That's why you're deceived. You And we get deceived because we grew up with an idea or we had some idea that was uh, taught to us as kids or or we just have a feeling about something. And today especially, we just love the feeling that we have about something. Uh, we got to be very careful with that. Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the end times, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect. You know, here Jesus is saying, you know what, there's some people who are going to do some fancy things, and they're going to do so in some cases in his name. They're going to do so, you know, that would be pretty impressive, right? Signs and wonders. That's something that, that you know, I think would be persuasive, but the scriptures say that shouldn't be persuasive. You know, the scriptures say, hey, you know what, the sign that Jesus one time was asked, you know, hey, do it again. He had to be asked that all the time. You know, hey, Jesus, can you uh, turn some more water into wine? You know, Jesus, I'm having a birthday party next week. I wonder if you'd come. That has to be part of the conversations that would happen, right? Eventually, Jesus gets frustrated, and he says, you know what? The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which was three days in the whale, and then uh, he comes out. It's the sign of Jesus's death and resurrection that we look at that, and we go to Jesus rise from the grave. If so, then we need to look at everything else through that lens of resurrection, we look at everything else, the truth of Christ, the truth of what he says, it comes down to the importance of resurrection, because if death can't get him, then what he said is true. Then it should affect our worldview on everything else. You got to know the scripture really way, really well. Second Thessalonians 2 says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will, uh, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Every time there's a passage about the second coming of Christ. It's about deception. You know, we tend to want to talk about that subject and the signs and, you know, what's going on and digital currency and one world government and all that's very interesting and appropriate conversation. But the biblical part is, hey, don't be deceived. You know, we might have a one world government for a long time before uh, the return of Christ or the end times things happening. We might have a one world currency for a while and maybe then there'll be a time when we don't. World history is an interesting thing. We have to not be deceived. Uh, what our faith is about is Jesus and why he came the first time. You know, the hope that we have is that he's coming a second time, that everything will be made right. But why did he come the first time? He came the first time because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He came the first time to be the fulfillment of the law in the Old Testament, to uh, live the perfect life that we can't live, to die and pay the penalty for sin that we can't afford, to rise again from the dead, paving the way for resurrection and eternal life, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a free gift. It's good news. It's all the bad news that we're seeing on the news and everything. You know what? There's hope because our hope isn't in RFK Jr. or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever it is that is your, your favorite person running. Your hope is in Jesus. And he accomplished what needed to be accomplished for that the first time. Don't let that escape you in your thoughts about politics and even in the discussions. I think one of the reasons that we need to be able to discuss things, even with people who disagree politically or just about anything, 
is because ultimately our goal is to let them know the good news about Christ. That, you know, I think if Jesus were to come and sit, you know, in our living room, or if he were to come to our church and get up there on the stage and tell us everything that's right and wrong about politics, you know, did did Joe Biden, uh, did he accept bribes from Burisma and everything that's being talked about in Washington? Did that happen or not? He could tell us. He could tell us for sure all the details. He would be the ultimate whistleblower. You know, is Donald Trump guilty or not of some of the things that he's being accused of and charged with? He could tell us for sure. He could tell us his motives. He could tell us, you know, whether he was naive or whether he meant it or whether he's being falsely accused. He could tell us all of that, and it would be all right and at the, all, you know, all correct. And then I think Jesus, he might resolve all of our political arguments and a lot of our other stuff. And then he would say, now that I've explained all of that, has your role as a disciple maker changed? You know, have we've wasted a lot of time talking about all that. You know, what's the difference? You still have to love people. You still have to tell people the good news about me, Jesus would say, right? Is that, you know, those things, they occupy our time. But the purpose of those conversations, even the purpose of talking about it on our show, when we deal with the news of the day, is to say, hey, we want to be people who are not deceived, who can hear what other people have to say who disagree with us. But the reason to be able to hear that is not just so that we can be persuasive on some issues, although I think that's important, but so that we can be trusted to present the gospel when that opportunity arrives, because that's what matters at the end of the day. The people that God has placed in your life that are your family or your coworkers or your friends or your classmates, the reason that those people are relationally in your world is so that you can represent the gospel to them. That's why we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. There's reason for that. There's preparation for that. And part of that is relationship. We've got to be in relationship with people who disagree. One of the biggest problems for Christians in sharing their faith is we often get to a place where we don't know anybody who isn't Christian. You know, who do you share your faith with? I don't know. Everybody I talk to is a believer. Well, you need to go out there and get some non-believing friends and listen to where they're coming from. Listen to what's going on in their life. You may not agree, but be a listener. Be like Jesus. One of his great examples is he went and sat down with the tax collectors. You know, he, he invited you know, people to dine with him. He listened. He didn't change his views. He didn't withhold the truth when it was ready to be given, but he cared enough to be with people. And that's what we have to do. That's why the the censorship thing matters. That's why these conversations matter. Okay. In the the next hour, we're going to talk about uh, the impact of the writer's strike and the actor's strike. I think that you have uh, some interesting, there's some interesting things for you there. And I have some guests who will be with us from Kappa Studios right here in Los Angeles. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.